0: Welcome to So Says Rick.
1: Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Hi, welcome to episode 19 of So Says Rick. Wow, cool.
0: Wow, we are barely into 2021, huh?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's already been a crazy ride, hasn't it?
0: Exactly. So with everything that's gone on in the last week or so, Laura and I thought we would offer you something that kind of spoke to situations where people have different points of view.
1: Very different points of view. Exactly. And yet they somehow come together in some way.
0: So we have a song that Laura wrote and a story that I wrote. I want to end with your song, so we'll start with mine. Mine is something I wrote years ago about my grandfather back in the 60s in Illinois when he was a minister at his first church in Venice, Illinois. And it's based on something that really happened to him. Just one part of it is what really happened to him. But I built this whole story based around that event. And it came together quite nicely, and I'm pretty proud of it.
1: So Rick recorded this story on his CD, Slice of Pie, and it was recorded in front of a live audience,
0: live studio audience,
1: in lovely Van Nuys, California. So here it is, The preacher Story.
0: Although Venice, Illinois was a small town, they managed to have two Baptist churches. There was a Southern Baptist church over on Pine Street. It was an all-white congregation. And there was a first Baptist church down there by the grain elevator. It was an all-black congregation. I didn't even know there was another Baptist church in town when I accepted the ministerial position at Southern Baptist till one day I was sitting in my office working on my sermon for Sunday morning. There was a knock on the door. A big colored lady was standing there. Candy Lee was her name. She said, their minister over at First Baptist passed away about a month ago. And she asked on behalf of the congregation if I'd be willing to go over to their church and preach my sermon a second time on Sunday mornings. till they found themselves a new minister. Well, I was none too comfortable with that request. You see, I'd attended a Black Baptist church and seminary one time and I felt a little out of place there. So I prayed about it, and I talked it over with my wife, Clara, and the deacons over at Southern Baptist. Now, they were split on the issue. Clara, she felt like this is something God wanted me to do. Horace Crone, head of the deacons over at Southern Baptist, said, Well, if you feel like this is God's will, we won't stand in your way. But don't you be surprised when you get over there, you don't fit in. They're different than we are in doctrine, I'm sure. Well, Horace Cronin helped me make up my mind rather quickly. I called up Candy Lee the next morning, and I said, Yes, ma'am, I'd be proud to preach at your church on Sunday mornings. And the first time Clara and I went over there, we were both nervous. I knew down deep inside a white man would not be their first choice for a minister. And I wanted to trust that the Lord would see me through this, but, oh, I had my human fears now, didn't I? Well, I got over there, they treated us like like we were old friends that had been absent for a period of time. We were just coming back for a visit. And if the color of my skin bothered them at all, they didn't let on to it. I told Clara, I enjoy giving my sermons twice every Sunday mornings. It gives me that second chance, in case I don't get it quite right the first time. <laughs> oh, would that we had a second chance more often in life. I even felt so comfortable with that arrangement that... One night, a Thursday night, over Southern Baptist and the deacons' meeting, I suggested, maybe we should combine these two little Baptist churches and make one big one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you would have thought I asked them to worship in their underpants. <laughs> oh, no, it's the way we've always done. It's good enough for my folks. It's good enough for me, said Horace Crone. He very often spoke for the whole congregation. Whether or not they were consulted was not the issue. I quickly learned Horace Crow was a cross I had to bear. And after that night, I didn't even suggest it to the Black Baptist Church. No, sir. Didn't see the point in that. Now, I say I preached the same sermon at both services, but I'm here to tell you it was a completely different worship experience. At the first service with the white congregation, I am to start at 8.30 sharp, and I better be done by 9.30 or somebody's going to come up and give me a talking to about it afterwards. I remember after one of my favorite sermons entitled, Yes, the chariot swings low, but how low must it swing to pick you up? <laughs> it's a powerful message. I still use it today on occasion. Well, I just finished that service and uh, I saw Horace Crone making a beeline down the aisle. I looked at the clock on the wall, 9.42, 12 minutes late. Well, here it comes. I guess old Horace Crone had read some article in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that said the average human can only concentrate for 20 minutes. You talk longer than that, you're going to confuse people, he said. Well, he was a good sermon, at least the first 20 minutes was. <laughs> I considered telling Horace Crone maybe he should spend a little less time looking at his watch and a little more time listening to the sermon, but I resisted that temptation. Now, the second service with a black congregation is to start at 10.30 or whenever I can get everyone to sit down now, quit visiting, let's go. And it can go all the way to noon or 12.15. Oh, I was amazed at the energy of that black congregation. It inspired me. You see, I could say something in the first service that I myself thought was rather profound, and they would stare up at me like I was reading a fine print in their insurance forms. <laughs> But the same sermon in the second service would be interrupted several times by various amens. And you tell it, brother. Oh, it got me going to the point that sometimes I'd forget my original message and I'd preach right off top of my head. <laughs> and my wife, Clara, she got caught up in it too. You see, she played the piano for both services. And although she played the same hymns, they didn't sound the same. Now, how can I say this without hurting anybody's feelings? White folks, myself included, we tend to sing our hymns like, like we're pitching hay at the same time. We like to scoop up to the notes at the beginning of our phrases. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord our Father. It tends to make the hymns slower, maybe the more reverent, I don't know. But what would be a slow, reverent hymn when sung by the white congregation would fairly dance when sung by the black congregation. See, my wife was learning something she called adding notes. That is, she'd play more notes than are written on the page. And when that black congregation would start singing more notes than she could play, she'd just drop out and they'd sing a cappella till they were done. And they always knew when to finish. Clara never quite figured that out. Well, I'd been preaching at both services for about a month and a half after that and Candy Lee came up to me before the second service and told me that the First Baptist Church had chosen themselves a new minister. Me. She said it was not their intent to steal me from Southern Baptists but rather to share me on a more permanent basis. Oh, I was touched. When I... Went over to the deacons over at Southern Baptist to tell them of my decision. I made it very clear that I felt this was a path God was leading me to. See, they couldn't very easily say no to God now, could they? (laughs) No, sir, and they didn't. I was pleased and gratified to see the way they supported me this decision. Made me feel good. I should mention, however, Horace Crone was sick that evening. Couldn't attend the deacons' meetings. (laughs) He never missed one after that. <laughs> well, I'd been preaching at both services another two months when right before the second service, a young couple, Otis and Janelle King, they asked if they could be baptized. And I said, yes, sir, that's a good idea. And the the First Baptist Church, the folks normally got baptized in McCuppin and but the river was up and it had been raining so much and the creek was almost out, so I suggested... Why don't we have you get baptized over at Southern Baptist on a Sunday evening when there's no regular service? Because, see, the Southern Baptists they had their baptistry right inside the church. And we all thought it was a good idea until the day grew nigh. And I realized no one was going to attend that baptismal service. You see, the black congregation wouldn't be there because, well, it's not being held at our church. And the white congregation wouldn't feel obliged to be there. Well, you see, Otis and Janelle aren't members of our church. That made me feel bad. Becoming a Christian is an important day in one's life, and I wanted both those congregations to be there, celebrate this day with Otis and Janelle, but that was not going to happen, that was it. I went over to the church early that Sunday evening. I wanted to make make sure everything was ready. It was going to be a special service. I had already decided that. Even if it was just Otis and Janelle and Clara and myself. Well, it was about an hour before the service was to begin. And suddenly it occurred to me I had not put the water in the baptistry. And there wasn't time to fill it before the service began. Who did I think was going to fill our tank with water? The good Lord himself? No, sir. Don't go testing him. No. And I don't know if you're familiar on how Baptists practice their religion, but we believe to be baptized, you need to be immersed in the water, totally immersed. Then you come up from the water, washed new by the blood of the Lamb. See, we don't just splash water on you and call it done. No, sir, we're named for John the Baptist, not John the Splasher. (laughs) Well, I didn't know what to do, so I sat down on the front pew and I prayed about it. And just like that, the Lord answered my prayer. I went over to the Parsonage, and I called Charlie Combs, head of the Venice Volunteer Fire Department. And I asked Charlie if he'd get together a couple men and bring over that pumper truck and fill up our tank. And although Charlie and most of the Volunteer Fire Department were Catholics, they agreed to do so. Well, I barely hung up the phone when I heard the fire station bell go off, and a couple minutes later, heard the fire engine coming down Pine Street with its siren blaring. Oh, that Charlie Combs. He loved to blow that siren if he ever got a chance. And about the only opportunity he got was Fourth of July Parade once a year. So now that he had a bona fide reason, my goodness, he let it go. And I was kind of hoping he'd keep the whole thing quiet. I didn't want everybody in town to know I needed the help of a bunch of Catholics to run my Baptist church. (laughs) Well, the men got there, and they said it'd take just a couple minutes to fill up the tank. So I went on out front and opened the doors, and I was amazed to see there were people there. Horace and Dotty Crone had come. I hadn't expected to see them. The Twitchell family and all their boys were here. My goodness, the Cerebros were here, and they were in their slippers. Rip and Linda Crouchett must have left in the middle of dinner because the babe, baby she had her bib on, Rip had a chicken wing in his hand. And suddenly it occurred to me, these people are not here for a baptismal service, they're here for a fire. Yeah. Well, I knew the Lord would not care why they had come or how they were dressed, the most important thing is they're here right now. So, as the fire engine headed back down Pine Street with a siren blaring, of course, I stood on the front steps welcoming people to the evening service.
1: Good to see you. Come on in. No, we got
0: room for you. Come on in. No, them some good slippers. That looks good. <laughs> oh, and everyone was there, too. The thrill of a fire engine knows no racial boundaries. When I stood up to the pulpit to begin the service, I... I had to pause for a moment and admire my congregation. The church was filled like it was Christmas or Easter morning. Oh, I wished I'd had my brownie with me. I'd have snapped off a picture of them, because I knew they wouldn't fall for the fire engine trick again. But Suddenly, as I looked around, I realized everyone was out of place. No one was sitting where they're supposed to be sitting. You see, Baptist white folks and black folks tend to pick out a pew and then they sit there for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and then when they're dead and gone, they pass it on to the children. The children sit there. <laughs> Not tonight, no. Horace and Dotty Crone were s- always sitting in the second pew on the right side. Not tonight, no, sir. The Thomas family from First Baptist was sitting in their pew. Horace and Dotty have been sitting there since, they say, before the church was built. <laughs> they just built the church around them. Not tonight. They were sitting on the front pew and sitting right next to Horace Crone was Candy Lee and her four boys. Candy Lee, the most outspoken Baptist woman I'd ever met, was sitting right next to Horace Crone, about the most conservative Baptist man I'd ever met. Oh, maybe Horace Crone was right. Maybe it was my own foolish pride to think that I could combine these two very different Baptist churches. I must have been standing there just stunned for a moment or two because I heard Clara clear her throat from the piano. Point to the hymn. Right, that's all. Sing Trust and Obey, number 222. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4. Now, thank goodness, Clara had already decided she would play the hymns as she always played them in this church. No extra notes. And those in attendance from First Baptist followed her lead. No extra notes. I'm sure it took a bit of restraint, but they all caught on rather quickly. I think most of them had pitched hay before. Our baptismal service was going well, I thought, as I helped Otis step into the cool baptismal water. But as I lowered him down, as soon as he became immersed, Candy Lee let out a, Hey, man! Well, it scared Horace Crone so bad. He jumped up, turned around, and looked at her. And there he stood on the front row with all eyes on him. Now, Horace Crone could not just sit back down and admit he jumped up in utter panic. No, he'd look too silly, wouldn't he? And he couldn't say anything to her. No, that wouldn't be Christian of him. So Horace Crone did something I believe he did without thinking about too much. Horace Crone said, praise the Lord, and he sat back down. Oh, heaven forgive me, but as I stood there in that holy water baptizing new Christians, I almost started to laugh until I looked down and realized Otis was still submerged. (laughs) I plucked him up out of that water, coughing and sputtering, and as he pulled that fresh air in his lungs, he truly felt the spirit of being reborn. (laughs) He was like a new baby taking his first breath, and no one even noticed No, everybody was watching the show on the front row. They were waiting to see what was going to happen next. I will admit to you, I myself was distracted by all this. As I lowered Janelle into the water, I glanced over my shoulder. Candy Lee said, amen, followed by Horace Crony said, praise the Lord. Now no one could think it was a mistake the first time. But what Horse Crone didn't realize is that he had just given the go-ahead for any spontaneous outburst, as long as it was inspired by the Lord. I announced the final hymn right there from the baptistry. Let's, uh, let's uh, sing Old Time Religion. I don't think you need your hymns on this one. Let's sing all the verses we can remember. Tis that old time religion Tis that old time religion Our service had gone so well, and it was just about over. And then, without warning, between the first and second verse, Clara started adding notes. Then the black members of the congregation were starting to get all wound up. I knew in a matter of moments things could get out of control, so I tried to get Clara's attention. I knew she could slow this hymn back down to hay pitch and pace if anybody could. But no, 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 she was far too busy adding notes to be distracted now. Suddenly, there was a flurry of notes from the piano, and the black members of the congregation started to clap and sway. Oh, my goodness, no one had ever clapped in this church before. And swaying, swaying, that's only one step away from dancing. We all know what dancing's one step away from. The white members of the congregation, they just seemed baffled at first, and then... One by one, they laid down the hymnals, and they started to clap and sway with varying degrees of success. <laughs> oh, what's Horace Crone going to do? Now, maybe he'll grab Dotty and leave out the narthex, not make a big scene, but oh my goodness, what if he stops us all and gives us all a big talking to? I looked down at Horace. He was just standing there, holding his hymnal, looking straight ahead. He was not singing, nor was he clapping or swaying. He shifted his weight to the right, back to the left. Horace Crone was a tense man, back to the right, to the left. I don't know if Horace Crone realized it, but he was swaying to the music. Well, I guess that man did realize it because he surprised me and Horace Crone put down his hymnal and he started to sing and clap and sway right there in church. Not because he got caught and was trying not to look foolish. On the contrary, the man looked foolish. But he couldn't stop himself. He was too full of the Spirit. Oh, it was an amazing sight. The white members of the congregation, they seem to be letting out something they've been holding in for a long time. And they were doing their best swaying too. Oh, they knocked a the hat off over here. They, they broke some glasses over there. They knocked the arm off of one of the pews. No one seemed to mind. And at the end of that hymn, Horace Crone looked up at me and he said, Well, come on, Reverend. Let's sing some more. And we did. We sang several more hymns. It was the longest Sunday evening service I ever attended. And afterwards, no one come up and get me talking to about it. Amen to that.
1: really good to hear that story again, Rick.
0: I have to say, I enjoyed it too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this story really is one of Rick's, like, greatest hits.
0: Right, and it was kind of the centerpiece for my one-man show, Pig Boy, which was the beginning of my storytelling career. By the way, the show was called Pig Boy because I grew up on a pig farm and I worked at a meatpacking plant where they called me the Pig Boy. I'll have to tell that story. Maybe they will do that next time.
1: Yeah, we'll just have to do a trigger alert for vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pig Boy was very successful. We toured all over the country, and we played everything from churches to bars and everything in between. And
0: I was really pleased that no matter where we took the show, it was well-received. Yeah, it was. Universally well-received, if I may say so.
1: And then we had extended runs in Chicago and L.A.
0: Hey, in L.A., somebody from HBO saw the show and invited us to do the Aspen Comedy Festival doing the preacher story.
1: Yeah, which was a real honor.
0: Yes, it was.
1: And when we used to tour with our old band, the Sweet Potatoes, Rick would often tell the story in the context of a concert. It just worked so well with our music.
0: Hey, speaking of music, though, let's uh, let's make the transition to your song, shall nice we? Nice segue. Thank you, honey. I'm, I'm the king of Segways.
1: <laughs> I wrote this song actually last summer about the social unrest that was going on then. And we'd made a recording just at the piano, Rick and I, and posted it on YouTube. We got really positive response to it.
0: And since then, people have asked us, well, when you do a studio recording, let us know. We have a couple of radio stations where people wanted it, and friends have used it in church services.
1: So, right, after Christmas, I went into the studio and started working on, you know, a studio recording. And then, of course, there were the riots in the Capitol in January. And so, unfortunately, it's as relevant as ever.
0: It certainly is. So we'll say goodbye to you right now and let Laura's song finish out the show.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Here we go. Laura's song. Talk to each other.
1: We're all holding our breath Waiting to see what's next Cynical and stressed We never could have guessed This would be how it would all play out Full of fear and doubt When we open up our mouths We're yelling loud Even when we don't know what we're shouting about Now we have become imprisoned By our own division Can we talk to each other Sirens wailing over the hill We're waiting, waiting still Wondering what will become of all our worries That fill our nights with bad dreams Nothing is as it seems All these mad schemes reduced to memes In endlessly repeating themes The ground is slipping out from under our feet each other We treat one another As we want to be treated We